0: Oh, Hi again, everybody. Uh, it's Jungle Jim Jerome coming back with another episode of Inside Curling. It's our post-World Championship wrap, and who better to talk about it than our two World Hall of Fame curlers. Kev, you've been isolating down there. Are you okay? Are you ready to go for another show?
1: I'm ready to go for another show, yeah. I Actually, I, I got outside yesterday, Jim, and I walked around the building. It's maybe a couple hundred meter walk, and I went around about six times and went man this is crazy <laughs> but that's, I, at least I got to breathe fresh air
0: it must have felt like a trip to Hawaii to get out of the <laughs> get out of the hotel uh, <laughs> And that's Warren Hansen you can hear laughing in the background Warren uh, what a week it was right for the world championships
2: uh, it was a fabulous week one of the best weeks of uh, curling I think we've we've seen for some time
0: All right let's roll it out boys
2: last rock
0: eighth end up by two
3: mm-hmm. I don't, think I'm, I don't think I'm white. I don't think you are either. Oh, oh. Just clean. Oh, don't, oh.
2: Kill it, don't kill it, Ben. Don't kill it. Line's really good. Line's in. Right on the button, guys. Right here, Last guys. stone for Kevin Martin. They want it on the button. The sweepers are watching it. Fans are on their feet. Kevin Martin goes out as a champion. Cuts him to one. He will win his final Grand Slam, taking the Players' Championship. Talk about putting an exclamation mark at the end of a career. All he had to do was
0: cut him down. Kevin Martin can celebrate. He is a champion. Uh, Boy, what an exciting show we have today. Uh, Kevin, great job where you snagged a guest for us We'll tell you about in a second Uh, Here's what we're going to talk about today Uh, You guys are going to give us your wrap on an incredible uh, World Championship Uh, Boy, I watched a lot of it uh, And man, it was the most competitive event I've seen in a long time Kevin, tough one for Canada Tough for you with your son But uh, we're going to get your rap on that Also, we're going to get to an email today that we want to talk about And uh, of course, our big guest We are going to talk to the reigning world champion, five-time world champion now, and uh, three in a row, which are both records. We're talking about Nicodine, of course, who's going to come on with us. Warren, uh, tell us about the week.
2: Yeah, it was was an excellent week, and uh, with 14 countries competing for the first time, I guess to some degree you might have thought that those lower countries may not do a lot, but... uh, They did, and I think it was really interesting. There were virtually seven countries that were very much in the hunt for those six playoff spots, but the seven behind weren't that far behind, and I even look at a team like Germany that were young. They came up with some great games at times, and uh, I, I think the whole surprise of the week was the Russian team Sergei Glukov, who ends up in the final six and was within fractions of going right down to the final. And uh, we're going to see lots from this guy. I was really impressed with his abilities, his touch, his savvy of the game. And you kind of ask yourself, where's he been? Where did he learn all that? And uh, so I think from a point of view of going forward... Uh, world curling is going to give us some great games I think we get in the next few years and and the equity is becoming more so than it's ever been before so I think from that point of view uh, it was a fabulous week and I think uh, from here on in this is just going to get better
0: where did they get so good where are they curling like the the Russia when they jumped out and everyone started to look at their record go who are these guys man
2: Kevin may be able to answer that better than I can but uh, I'm not sure how they've gotten so good but Kevin what's your thoughts on it
1: Oh Mike and I were talking about it during the event and you know between the two of us we cover all kinds of curling uh, everywhere depending on the, on the station and nope neither of us had any idea where these guys came from and you know if you look on uh, on YouTube you'll find uh, Glukoff with one of the best shots in uh, junior curling history he made an unbelievable kind of a a split In junior, it's the best shot ever. You'll be able to look it up, everybody. And that's where we found who this guy even is. And that, yeah, he is actually a curler, but uh, anything else? No, it's just an amazing story of a brilliant young athlete who we're going to get to enjoy for a very long time. And uh, to say he came out of nowhere is not incorrect, I don't think.
0: Kevin, talk about Team Canada. Um, Certainly not what we hope for. Uh, It's sort of double tough for you, because I know you're so passionate about curling and the sport in Canada. But your son, of course, is on Team Canada. Tough week for them, Kev. Did they lose a bunch of games, Kevin? Or did they just come up against uh, a bunch of great, great curling from the other teams?
1: Yeah, you know what? There's a few ways to look at it. I think the team's pretty happy in that they uh, they qualified Canada for the Olympic Games. That was a huge accomplishment. Not easy. I think that uh, playing the Briar and then having mixed doubles and Brendan and, and Darren playing in that as well and then then the world's, I don't think there's any problem with people doing that. I just don't think they realized, I don't don't know when they walked in the door, February 25th or something, uh, something like that, where they went into quarantine and to just stay in your room uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks on end and trying to compete, but there's no getting out of there. I think that might've been overwhelming, especially for Darren. He's a high energy individual and to just be kind of locked up for (laughs) weeks and weeks and weeks and playing the briar and they did great. But then, you know, you're locked up for two, three more weeks playing a mixed doubles event and then come to a world and you're still locked up. And whew, again, I think that was kind of a, a major issue. It's just the amount of time. Whereas the the other top teams from around the world were practicing, training, doing all their stuff at home and then <clears> entered the bubble a few days prior to the Worlds and were fresh and ready to go. So I think that was a pretty a big part of it. I, I've talked to Carr quite a lot since the, their last game and he seems fine. Um I know that they would have been really bummed out had they not qualified Canada for the Olympics because that's outside their team. Mm-hmm. Like they're a young team, they're doing well. They, you know, they went to Briar Finals. They've won Grand Slams. You know, really good team. Now they've taken that one more step. They've got to the Worlds. You know, they've they've learned about it, which is great. But I think they would have felt really bad if they have affected more than just them by not getting Canada in the Olympics. But now that they are, I think they're pretty. Uh, at least Karak, he uh, seems just fine it's just a matter of getting in there and getting back to another world championship and
0: uh, and doing better next time warren when you look at when you look back at the week uh one of the interesting things i found was uh every interview that darren molding did uh after post games where you know where they lost he sure took the fall they said how what happened there walk us through the loss if if you can and he said it was my fault I, i curled like as shite, like, like, (laughs) like he said, Um, if you were coaching that team, Warren, what would you tell them to take away from that? And would you see somewhere what, you know, where they have to improve?
2: Well, I think, uh, Darren, I'm, I'm sure was hurting with that back issue, and and that had to set him off kilter, even if he he had recovered fully from it, because he probably went through days where he wasn't sure. I've had back spasms. I know how uncertain it is from day to day. So I'm sure that was in the back of his head, and I'm sure it was in the back of his head when he was playing. Is this all of a sudden going to grab me again? Because that's the way back spasms work. It just hits you out of nowhere. So I'm sure that was that was in his mind. I think they just need to regroup. As Kevin said, they're a great team. I think playing at that world level for the first time is uh, is a very uh, challenging experience for anybody. And I know Kevin and I have both gone through the experience of playing in a world championship uh, representing Canada and not winning back in the days when Canada was expected to win practically by showing up on the ice and uh, how difficult that was to deal with with the the curling public in Canada because of their expectations. So it's a little different now it's uh, far more equitable it was back in the old days and I think people are becoming more of the realization that Canada just isn't going to win anymore by showing up and that there's other countries in the world that are doing really really well and we're just going to have to be excellent when we step on the ice to be able to defeat them.
0: Kevin, how did Nickadine do it? We're going to talk to him shortly. Uh, in your mind, when you when you look back,
2: well, his experience
0: now—eleven
1: um, world championships he's been in and and winning five of them. Experience matters, you know, in in a sport. And for Nick, uh, that means a lot. His work ethic, the amount of <laughs> the amount of time he puts in in improving his game. Uh, Oscar Erickson at third. Well, another thing mike harris and i talk about is uh, who are who are the best curlers in the world if you want to start naming the very best players oscar erickson is always on that list so you know you've got a third who plays constantly in the low 90s and then you've got uh rasmus and christopher in the front end so you know how does he do it well he's got an unbelievably awesome team you've got one of the top skips in the world and uh as far as uh cerebral nicotine is very sharp individual, and i'm sure we'll find that out today but between all those things with the experience, he's just really tough to beat. And uh, he, he he knows how to finish off an event. He knows how to win.
0: We'd love to hear from you. Uh, email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. Uh, we're on Twitter at Curling Inside. And our Facebook uh, group is growing exponentially again. It's just getting huge. And we're at Inside Curling there. Uh, we want to thank everyone for their emails. Uh, we really do appreciate it. And we, we get to a lot of them. I say we, but Warren's. I don't know if you ever... Do you ever sleep, Hanson? Uh, A bit. (laughs) Not very much. Let's talk about, Warren, uh, the television coverage. Uh, It seemed to be a lot of chatter about this week with the coverage and what was offered by TSN and the World Curling Federation. Should there maybe be a different approach uh, considered going forward
2: Well, we're in an interesting time with, I guess, I'll say video signals, whether they're going to continue to come across through the normal cable channels, but things are growing such as YouTube channels and, of course, video streaming becoming a a product of the future. I'll go back into history and I find this kind of interesting. I was involved in meetings in 2001 when we had all the people at the table that were involved in those days, World Curling Federation, CBC, TSN, CCA, And what we were talking about was the possibility in a not too distant future at that point, remember 2001, beginning to have a host broadcaster position where we would actually be able to bring forward a television or video signal from every sheet of ice. And from that point of view, whichever nation or network wanted to pick up the uh, coverage, if they had the rights to it, would be able to do so. And so this is 2021, and we're still sitting with sort of the same model that was in existence back in 2001, although things have changed somewhat, because back in those days, world Curling Television didn't exist. And of course, that has been growing year after year after year, where most people don't realize, but in Calgary, there were two separate television signals being produced. One by TSN, who owned the rights in Canada, but the other one by World Curling Television, who was providing a video feed to virtually the balance of the world. And Kevin, of course, was involved with that. Sometimes they were doing two games a draw. Sometimes it was one. But depending upon the situation, and a lot of those uh, signals were coming out on YouTube as well, pretty much for the first time into Canada. So they were able to be accessed. Not many people were really aware of it. But I guess a lot of confusion that we were seeing on our Facebook page of uh, people wanted to watch some of those games in Canada between, let's say, Scotland and and Sweden, and uh they didn't know how to get to them. Uh, Some people were relaying message to them. Here's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And so we're at a point where TSN has always covered the Canadian games for the Canadian audience, but in the country as uh, curling crazy as Canada, I think we've reached a point where those games between other nations that are going to be contenders for Canada, probably need to be out there somewhere. And uh, there's there's a lot of interest in them. So I think we're going to see as we go in here next two or three years, some potential changes start to happen is that signal from every sheet of ice becomes, I think, more of a reality. And I think it's something that's got to happen going forward because the interest around the world is picking up on this whole thing, particularly in countries like the United States and Japan, uh, which Kevin can be more probably conversant on what's going on with them than I can. But uh, it's just gaining speed. And uh, we're going to have to, I think, at the world curling level, make those video signals more uh, accessible to anyone who wants them.
0: How about you, Kev? Uh, What's your take on that? And how many games did you do this week? First of all.
1: Yeah. So, uh, I ended up doing 19 games this week and, uh, over the last 10 days, quite a few games, uh, and, uh, various teams, a lot of U S games, of course, because, uh, I generally for world championships will work for NBC, but of course with COVID that didn't happen. So NBC picked up the feed from the world curling television and they wanted me to do most of the U S games. So I did a lot of U S games, Japan uh, wants all of their games. So I did a lot of J- team Japan games, China, uh, some of their games actually went on to their main station and that usually gets 40 to 50 million viewers. Um, that wow. was never, that didn't happen usually with curling. It, it is now. So, uh, curling is growing so much in, uh, in Europe and Asia. It, it's incredible, but viewership in, in Japan for a lot of games is 16 to 20 million people. So these are staggering numbers that we just. You know, we don't think about that in north america so huge amount of uh, viewership the game that tsn decided not to do we ended up with over a hundred thousand viewers on youtube alone but it was also on twitter i believe it was on facebook live but just on youtube alone so that's a, that's a that's a ton of streaming so uh going forward to warren's point where does where does it go exactly i i i don't know it's, a, it's somebody way smarter than me to figure it out but i just know that people are really tuning in in many, many different ways now, and not just that, but also a lot of young people don't want to watch the whole game. They just want a highlight package that they can get off of Twitter or whatever the case may be. Just quick little highlights of what happened if you're a Nicodine fan or if you're a Brendan Botcher fan or whatever the case may be, and just get the lowdown. How's it going at the Worlds? And, you know, there's just all these different angles and directions that the sport seems to be going in. and and around the world is just growing yeah. so fast, our sport. It's a really exciting time. It's a confusing time, but it's mm-hmm. a real exciting time.
0: Uh, before we get to our emails, uh, bring us up to speed on our very active uh, Facebook page. Was there some number in there, Warren, like 5,000? People weighed in on something this week? We are
2: just about at 5,000 people who are members of our Facebook group, which is fantastic. It's growing. Last week, it was growing every day. And uh, we invite all of you who may not be members of our group yet to join in. We have some great discussions going on. Everybody gets to express their opinion as long as they do it in a civil way. And Mm -hmm. uh, we get some interesting conflicts going back and forth, but, but it's lots of fun. And I'm sure if you're not a member, you will... Have lots of fun becoming a member and in the near future. Uh,
0: let's get to an email. Uh, and the reason we're reading this email is because we've had a lot of response from people who not only enjoy the Briar wrap that we've done in this and the Scotties and the mixed doubles. And today, of course, we're, you know, we're talking about the world championships, but we get a lot of people who are very interested, Kevin, in the technical side of the game, they want to hear from you and Warren about this. Uh, so here's, here's an email we got today. Uh, early in the week from Bob. Um, he says, the ice at the Scotties and the Briar curled a lot. The WCF requested straighter ice for their event. How do ice makers customize the ice for specific events? Which type of ice do elite curlers find the most challenging? I'm not a podcast guy, but he is now. I listen to the end of each episode on your podcast, and I especially enjoy Kevin's technical insights. So what do you say to that, Kevin? Well,
1: thanks, Bob. I appreciate that. Um, okay, so let's get into the ice conditions at let's just go because it's the men's worlds that we're talking about. Let's go with the Briar and the Men's Worlds and the Grand Slams are gonna start later this week. Okay? So let's just do that. So the Briar. Greg Owasco, so a fantastic ice maker, one of the best in the business. He's he's made the ice for the Briar. They don't at the curling Canada level give him any, any rules or you have to have this much curl. Or it can't be more than this. They want Greg to do his best with the building and the rocks to have five, five and a half feet of curl. Now, when you sandpaper the stones before the event, for that amount of curl with late snap, you're using 80 grit paper. And you're probably now Greg could help us with this, but likely it's just putting it on the on the uh, on the jig a push of the stone out on the paper, lift it up, quarter turn, down, a pull back on the same paper. And that's mm-hmm. with 80 grit paper. That's going to get you five, five and a half feet. Now with, that's with a like a, a Canadian release or a Scottish release. That means that you're putting a little rotation on it and putting the rock back a, a little bit. You're not, no soft releases. Okay. So then you get to men's worlds and Greg, same ice maker, fantastic ice maker. But he has to have, now this is with say the Netherlands or the Swiss release, five feet of curl. So that would be automatically about four feet of curl for the Canadian release or a Scottish release, okay? Because they release their stone a little bit different, more rotation and a little bit back. But five feet of curl cannot have more than five feet of curl with the people that throw it soft. So when you're seeing um, before they sand the stones midweek to draw a button, Team Scotland were taking just outside Edge of four, like just over two feet. I interviewed uh, Bruce Mowat after his win one night, and he says, well, Kevin, the ice is getting super straight. Like it was for their release, just over two feet. They want to have more than three and a half feet of curl. And that's his. that's a have never never seen the contract, but supposedly the contract that the ice makers sign tells them they want more than three and a half feet, but not more than five feet of curl. And that's with, say, the Netherlands or the Swiss release not canada or scotland and the way they would do that it's either using maybe a hundred grit so uh, a less scratchy uh sandpaper to sand those rocks or even a second use 80 grit means they've already been that paper has been used once already so it's not as scratchy you would still do a push away quarter turn pull back and you're not turning it on the paper so it's a push away lift the rock turn it a quarter back on the paper pull back okay And then when you get into the slams, you got Mark Shurik, another absolutely fantastic ice maker. He's done all of the Grand Slams since the Grand Slam started in two thousand and one, and his curl, even for a a Canadian or Scottish release, is five and a half feet. So that's where somebody like Switzerland or 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 the Netherlands—I'm just using them as an example—they're going to get six six and a half feet of curl. So that's and that's likely going to be a two or maybe even a three pass. So that's a New paper, push, lift the rock, maybe even put new paper again. So you use two pieces per and then pull back, and you might even go a third pass, turning at a quarter turn again. Okay. And that's going to get a lot more action on there, a lot more curl, and, uh, and and it's going to last longer. So that's the difference between be it the Briar and then the Worlds and then the Slam. The slam has the most aggressive ice. The Briar a little less, but still lots the world championships, not by choice of ice maker, but by the rules laid out by the world curling federation straighter ice. And you noticed it when uh, they re- when they did touch the rocks midweek, it curled more, but it never got to anywhere near six feet of curl. Right. So when you're talking about the three different events, be it the Briar and then the world and then the slams, you got definitely a different surface. And then, so the question was, which do the curlers like the most? Well, the more curl and the keener. The more shots we made, the more entertaining the curling will be. So, very interesting. You know, there's lots to it, but I, uh, I'm going down technical, but I hope I explained it fairly well. Right.
0: Warren, was this something you've, you've curled a long time? Tell us about the history of rocks a little bit. Uh, were you instrumental in saying we got to change these rocks or have they always been sanded?
2: No, this is a huge story and it's an evolution. I mean, we went through the situation of back in the old days, you didn't worry about curl because with broomcorn and frost and pebble wasn't clipped, uh, you didn't have those issues. But as we got into the 80s and the whole process of how you prepared the ice uh, for the games and the lack of broomcorn straightness became an issue. And actually in the early 90s, it was Shorty Jenkins, famed ice maker from Ontario, who was the guy that finally figured out by taking... Sandpaper to the running edge in the manner which Kevin has explained, you could make the rocks curl uh, on a surface where they weren't curling before. Also adjustments in surface temperatures that uh, traditionally were kept very low, which, I mean, the colder the surface, the harder it is to get curl out of, a, out, of, out of a rock. So there was a whole pile of things figured out primarily in the 90s that have led to where we are today.
0: Very good, boys. Uh, I think I hear footsteps walking down the hallway. Yeah, I think our guest is about to arrive I'm I'm waiting for a knock at the door. Nick is going to be our guest.
1: Well, an extra second in the hack for Nicholas Hadeen. Ninth end. Has a double takeout. Well,
3: come up, make the double, and there it is
1: for five.
3: The double
1: for Nicholas Hadeen. And that is the game. That's the world championship. A double for five. And world championship number five.
0: Like we said at the top of the show, uh, we've got a guest coming on. And not just any guest. And uh, I'm just waiting for him to arrive. Knock, knock. There it is. Let's just go with the big two before we bring him on. Five world championships now. And three in a row. And like I said, we're so pleased to
3: be joined by Nick Adeen. How are you, Nick? Hi, I'm uh, excellent, thank you. A little bit tired, but I'm super happy with that, the win we got a couple of days ago.
0: Yeah, way to go, man. Uh, congratulations on an unbelievable career. Uh, and you're just getting rolling. Uh, you're just into your 30s. So I got to ask you, Nick, uh, like I like to ask a lot of guys who, who win the big title, who win the Mac Daddy, who was your first phone call to
3: after you won the gold? Oh, it was probably some media. (laughs) I actually (laughs) haven't talked to my family yet. Yesterday was crazy busy, so I'm going to phone up some of my uh, friends and family today, actually.
0: So walk us through the week, Nick. How did you guys do it under extenuating circumstances with COVID and everything? uh, No one really knew how it would go, so take us through that week.
3: Yeah, it was obviously a little bit different from uh, all the other uh, world championships we've played before. We've played quite a few now, so I think the experience we have definitely helped uh, through these difficult times, both leading up to it and playing the event itself. And especially maybe in the beginning, leading up to the playoffs, we got a big break there with the uh, false positive COVID uh, tests. And uh, so it was definitely special and very difficult for everyone. And I think with our experience, we, we handled it really well. And we uh, came into the playoffs really pumped to do well, and played uh, played some awesome curling, especially in the end of both those games, semi and final. Did you have a
0: different strategy, Nick, with COVID uh, from you? You know your high end teams when you're playing these events. So during the week, did you did you guys do anything different, sort of strategic wise, than you normally would under under normal circumstances?
3: Not really. I think uh, we kind of talked in the beginning about we could play a few open ends in the beginning of games just to kind of get into it because we haven't competed a lot. Uh, But at the same time, with not having competed a lot, we kind of wanted to get into that freezing towards the middle and getting the angles right and kind of stuff that eventually wins you the event. Um, So we we didn't want to play it too conservatively early just because we we knew we were going to need those angles uh, to be perfect to win the event. So we we kind of had a couple of uh, games early on that we kind of held back a little bit. Uh, but then we tried to get into the stuff that we knew we would need to win the event.
0: I just want to ask you quickly before Kevin comes on, uh, I've, I've been reading a bunch about you. Uh, You're a household name now. Uh, one of the things that jumped out to me, Nick, was how you got into curling at, at 13 years old. I think you saw a women's team win a medal, and you, that's what... Made you decide that you wanted to go into curling, but it said you were really good at like ten other sports when you when you were growing up. <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it wasn't going to be curling, Nick, were you? You know what? What would have been uh, for you?
3: Uh, it's a good question. I, I did a lot of different sports when I was a kid, and I trained all the time. Like I had thirteen, fourteen practices at a really young age, so it was basically. My parents, as soon as they weren't working, they were driving me to some uh, some practice or training somewhere. But I think as soon as I found curling, it was kind of just the uh, the right fit, so to speak. Because uh, I kind of mm-hmm. I've always liked the strategical parts too, uh, like playing different card games and like thinking more in a mathematical kind of way. Uh, so the angles and the t- strategy in curling really, uh, really just suited the way I think. I think <laughs> so. Uh, I think the combination, being just a, a, a very tough uh, physical sport, if you will, not maybe uh, conditioning-wise, but, but in terms of balance and body control, and uh, you need to have a lot of uh, things on your mind, a lot of quick decisions while you're sliding there, and to make the perfect shot, you, you need to do a lot of things right in a, in a very limited time. So I think those two um, combinations, I think, were, were, were the ones that just fit me well and that I really liked.
0: You said it's a game of chess yeah is what you've what you've called curling is that correct
3: i think so i, I wouldn't say i'm a good chess player by any means but i, I think it's the same kind of uh, kind of thing I, i've seen the documentaries about magnus Carlson how how he uh basically slept and dreamt about uh chess and and in daytime he did nothing else than chess and it was kind of li- a little bit like that for me and in, in the beginning when i started curling i started fairly late but once i um started thinking about strategy and curling Uh, positioning of the rocks and like which areas to cover to have the best uh, outcome of the ends. I I think uh, I spent a lot of time just thinking about those things and it was never really leaving my mind. So I think theoretically I've done a lot of practice, even though it hasn't been planned practice all the time maybe, but a lot of thinking about angles and different positioning, I would say.
0: We're going to bring him on right now. I'll tell you what, Nick, it's great to have you on. Uh, because, uh, Warren and I are tired of hearing how good Kevin Martin was all these years. Okay. So now we got a guy, now we got a guy who's really, who, who's really good. You know, of course I kid, uh, Martin, it's over to you.
1: Well, you know what? Well, Nick, thanks a lot, obviously for, uh, for coming on. It's, uh, it's certainly a pleasure to get you on this show and, uh, congratulations on the fifth championship and third in the row. That's, that's absolutely outstanding billiards. The way you play the curling pool table, obviously you've spent some of your youth on a pool table. How much time did you spend on a table?
3: Yeah, uh thanks uh, so much for having me first of all. I don't know <laughs> that. I don't know
1: that Nick actually that you play pool, but very seldom would a person know the angles like you and not have played pool.
3: Yeah, I've actually played a lot of pool. Actually not so much when I uh was younger. I played a little bit in school, we had a table and uh in high school I think and uh, just kind of like the game, but I, I think actually lately we got sponsored by uh, the local pool hall uh, in Karlstad, where we live now. So it's actually been the past like seven, eight years uh, that I've actually played a lot of pool and I started competing a little bit a few years ago as well. So played a couple of events on the um, Swedish tour, uh, so like the semi-professional tour, you might say. Uh, and did pretty well. And they were like, who the hell are you? <laughs> uh, so I was like, yeah, I, I play curling normally, but I, I kind of like the angles and stuff. And they were like, yeah, we can see that. So uh, I think it's definitely um, a similarity between the two. And I think uh, same thing, I, I play pool because it's kind of like it, it's more uh, with the spins. The angles are pretty much the same, but it, you add so much more spin on a pool ball. And you can add top spin and backspin and stuff, which makes it more difficult, uh, I would say, than curling angles. Uh, so it's, it's just good practice, I think.
1: Well, a couple of times during the, uh, during the event, we were doing the television for the uh, world curling television. And I, I actually brought up putting side on a pool ball, a lot like adding spin. You had a couple of shots where you needed some extra action. You actually put more rotation on your stone. And I, I equated a lot cause I played a ton of pool. Same thing. I, I grew up in a pool hall being able to get more action on the, on the balls. I'd like you to talk to that a little bit just because we, we actually talked about it on a lot of broadcasts.
3: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a dimension of curling that, uh, uh, that is underrated. I think uh, I shouldn't talk too much about it now because then everyone would add spin to their runbacks, but <laughs> uh, I, I think it's definitely a dimension uh, that is overlooked. I think the spin uh, has more uh, to do with the drag effect, uh, for example, than the actual drag effect. Uh, so if you add spin, you have to calculate the angles way differently. So if you play an intern or an out turn makes a world of difference, uh, where you need to hit the rock mm-hmm. and the angle, it comes out after the hit and adding more spin, then you can uh, manipulate the angles a lot more than people think in curling.
1: You bet. Hey, uh, Nick, and before I get Warren in here, I, I really want to talk about you started at a, well, I wouldn't say a really young age of, of 13. But you got into your first World Championship in two thousand and six. You weren't very old. You might have even still been a junior. And I'd like to hear your progression, the way you did it, because I think we have a we have a ton of young people that listen to this podcast, and we talk about it a lot as far as uh, the growth of youth curling, especially in Canada. And I'd like to hear how you did it, starting in '06, when you made it to your first World Championship, and how you progressed and ended up moving uh, with your team to Karlstad, um, with Victor Schell and, and, uh, and Frederick, and then being able to build your way battling with Carlson's team. So you had the opportunity to go to 2010 Olympics. Can you kind of fill us in on that? So you can help the young people who are trying to find their way in our sport.
3: Yeah, I think uh, it might be a, a little bit differently in in Sweden. We we don't have the numbers of curlers, so it, the way I kind of <laughs> took to get to the the top in Sweden might not be possible in Canada. But I, I I'll try to explain it kind of how I looked at it and and what I did, and then uh, whatever uh, the young kids uh, in, in Canada can take from that, I'm I would be just glad to see more more curlers uh, get to the top and and create uh, goals that they can reach and and reach their dreams. So. Uh, when i started i like i said i did a lot of different sports when i was younger Uh, so i came from a training background like in in more physical sports i would say than curling now curling is a lot more physical than it was back then too so that really helped kind of focus on what to do and how to get good fast i think because just practicing curling i think you need a lot of years of experience to see the amount of shots needed and, and analyzed games and play with different teammates and have different coaches and it's just so much to it so i think just playing curling i think uh, there's literally no way to get really really good until you're 25 or so uh if you only focus on curling but i think if you add some more elements to it like pool would be one for example or chess Uh, and then the physical animals just training a lot in the gym being out running doing. Uh, different exercises for coordination. Uh, We even tried dance at one point, which was silly because we were terrible (laughs) dancers, but, uh, but it was funny. It was just a different way to look at it. Uh, Different ways to kind of train our bodies and minds to, to kind of like, uh, get a new task and, and be able to solve problems. um, And also kind of stand in a, on a scene that you're not used to maybe which kind of came later on when we got to the bigger stages of uh, world championships and grand slams and playing on tv and eventually the olympics as well early on we kind of realized that we had to do much more than just practice curling uh, that's kind of my point here that my focus has never really been curling practice itself i pl- practiced a lot of curling especially for a few years when i was maybe uh, through like 17 through 21 or so uh, I, I practice more than more than possible I would almost say it was basically seven eight hours a day of practicing seven days a week so it's uh, one season I threw 35,000 rocks in practice and whoever Whoa. counts their rocks knows that is almost an impossible <laughs> amount of <laughs> curling rocks in a season but on top of that I, I just did I've pretty much always done more physical training so Jim has been five to six days a week pretty much throughout my whole career except for injuries, and I've had a lot of those too. They've also kind of helped me a lot of rehab training and stuff that also kind of builds those small muscles and builds the balance and coordination between your body parts and, and, and training your body to, to work as one uh, instead of using just one arm or uh, one leg extension or, or whatever it might be when you kind of create a, a momentum for the rock to go at a fast pace. Uh, you need your whole body to work with you and uh, not just have a big push out of the hack or a big uh, push out with your hand or arm. It needs to be one unit that works together and you need to actually hit the target as well. So a lot of time spent on on a lot of different variables. And then we come to building the team. I think pretty early on we were kind of successful, just kind of coming from different sports. We started with a, a team that we were all from from soccer and tennis and table tennis, a, a lot of different sports, Uh, we did a lot of physical training, orienteering, three of us were into that too. Uh, So we came from just um, a a very active background and and liked to practice a lot, so we just got on with it, practiced a lot in the curling rink as well, but just overall did a lot of training and practicing. Uh, So then uh, that junior team that we started, we were 14 I think when we started, it was the the season after the Olympics when we watched it on TV, and I'd never even heard of curling before actually. (laughs) So we started that team and we we had no idea what we were doing uh, in the beginning but we kind of watched the uh, the better players and then uh it got good pretty fast so that we can compete um, at Swedish national junior level at least. Uh got to the first world juniors we were 18. Uh, that was in 04. So and then uh, we had no expectations. We we our hopes was to not finish last. Uh, especially going into uh, the event losing to the bottom-ranked team in Korea that had qualified for the A group for the first time ever. And we lost to them. So we were like, holy shit, let's try and win one game, boys. (laughs) And then we won every game from there on and won the final uh, against Switzerland. So that kind of showed that we had the heart, we had the training and we had the team. Uh, so that that was definitely the beginning of uh, of our careers and then shortly after that our team broke up and, and I found a new team with um, Marcus Hasselborg, Nils Carlsen and Manuel Alberg. And that was the team that made the Worlds in 06. Uh, we were still at Juniors so we played the World Juniors and the Worlds at the same year. Lost the final at the World Juniors uh, against Charlie Thomas. <laughs> he beat us twice in the finals at the World Juniors. So. Uh, good for him <laughs> Not that, but uh, I, I think that also kind of um, we did well at the world juniors but it, but it was also like something was missing so we after that we kind of stepped back a little bit and kind of tried to look at the things we had to improve to actually win those events instead of just do well or make the finals and win a medal uh, we, we just really wanted to win those events to get to the Olympics eventually that was that was the goal uh, so then um, I kind of uh, stepped back from, from that team after a few years. I think we, we played three years with that team, but the Olympic Committee wasn't overly thrilled with the, the, the kind of approach we, we had. We were really fast and loose, if you will. Played some awesome curling, uh, but the, the practice and the physical testings and stuff that we did weren't uh, as good back then. We were kind of divided in that team. We, we didn't all practice or train the same way. Uh, so, so I kind of saw uh, no choice but to part from that team, even though it was probably the highest talent I've ever seen in curling, to that point at least. Uh, but then just really looking at four individuals that would put in the work, put in the time to get to the top. And it was nothing else than to be world number one, win the Olympics, uh, make history in curling, basically. That, that was kind of the point. Like if, if I couldn't find a team that were able to do that and had the time and will to do that, uh, I wasn't going to go ahead with it. So I looked for, for the individuals that would, uh, be able to fill those roles. And then I asked them plain and simple, uh, will you be able to put in more time than you ever have practice harder than, than you ever have for anything basically, and put basically everything else on the side. This has to be priority number one. One guy turned it down, uh, but the others said yes, and then we started that team. So that was basically uh, basically a six-year run we had there where I think we practiced and looked into details more than most <laughs> teams. I, I don't want to say all other teams because a lot of teams do a lot of good things, uh, put a lot of times in, obviously. Uh, but I think we, we just decided without money in the beginning, too, we, we just started playing full-time uh, without basically a dime um, for us. So we we uh, got enough sponsorship to to uh, play the first event, and then we had to make playoffs there to pay for the second event. And that kept going. So we, we did that the whole first season. We had to uh, win money to pay for the next event pretty much the whole season. <laughs> uh, and we did that. So we made playoffs in, I think we played 18 events that year, and we made playoffs in all of them. Wow. And after that, we got support from the Olympic Committee. So so we, they covered the second half of that uh, season. Um, after the season was done, we got a money back from <laughs> from some of the stuff. And, and that kind of led up to we were actually one of the Olympic hopefuls after that year, because they, we were doing so well. And we won a few of them, too. So after that, it was already the Olympic season. Uh, so we'd only been together for uh, a year and a half leading up to the Olympics in 2010. And we, we had to win. The two nationals that we have, it's the Swedish Championship and the Super League, and then basically win the Europeans to qualify for the Olympics. Uh, so we did that. We, we won those uh, three big ones. We, we That was our first international championship as a team, the Europeans, uh, in 2009, leading up to that. So that was in December, uh, and the, the Olympics, obviously, is in February. Uh, so we had to win that, and we, we won that. We beat David Murdoch in the final, one of the idols in our sport. And we, we never really thought we could go in there and win the event, but we pretty much had to do it to qualify for the Olympics. So when we did all that, we we got the Olympic spot right away. And then it was, uh, yeah, just a couple of months later, we, we played the first Olympics. So that was basically the uh, the start of the the real career, if you will, how we got to the Olympics. And then from there, we're, we've played full time uh, ever since.
2: Wow, that's uh, quite a story, Nick. I want to talk about curling in Sweden because I will tell you in a minute, I've got a fairly extensive background with curling in Sweden before you were born. But uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'd first like to ask you the question from the game on Sunday. And what a phenomenal start when you drew the corner of the button from what I would refer to the ditch in the first end, looking, I think, at four (laughs) and, uh, and things that went on from there. And now we're down to the ninth end and you're going to throw your final stone and there's probably a shot there i thought with about a three foot angle raise for you to get two for sure maybe three but you chose to do the 12 15 foot run back for the double for five versus maybe the other shot and i'm wondering what was going through your mind when you looked at those two shots and you finally decided to pick the, the run through
3: yeah i think uh, that first end it uh, definitely uh, slipped out of our hands a little bit we we um couldn't really figure out the speed um, early on, I think was the, the main issue. It was a little bit quicker than it was in a semifinal. Kind of struggled with um, draw weight a little bit and, and kind of the the judging of the rock and the sweeping. It was a little bit different. We, we all had a little bit different look at it. Uh, so that kind of got us in trouble. But I, I felt at practice that I, I kind of felt it was a little bit quicker and I kind of felt that I was dialed in on the, on the speeds. I was fairly sure I would, um, I would be close on the draws at least. So when I got the freeze uh, on my first attempt and it bumped out a little bit, I kind of played that shot to know what the draw weight to the button was in case I don't make that freeze uh, or he can get it out somehow. I have to draw the button basically. Uh, so I was still pretty confident. I would I would be really close on that one. I had the line. I, I threw that exact draw on the practice a couple of times and I, I hit the side of the button. So. Uh, I, I just kind of figured if I, if I throw it exactly like that, it should be close. And it, it, the sweepers did a great job judging that. It wasn't easy. We, we had to basically uh, cover the side of the pin or get a little rub off of that uh, top button one. That was the important shot, I think, if we missed that one or if uh, even just giving up a steal of one. I think with the, the way that first end shaped up, I think we would have been in, in big trouble. Uh, it's a long game, but I think that all the momentum would have been on their side. So that was a really important uh, point to score in that first end. Uh, and then we come to the ninth end there. and I, I think I, I, I definitely right away looked at that double. That was, for me, uh, the shot. But then, obviously, in a, in a situation like that, you want the whole team to be in on it. If anyone feels differently, if they want to draw for two... If anyone wants to make that angle race for two or possibly three, I I think it was really difficult for three, actually. So I I think it would have been a draw for two or play this double for the game. And I think the advantage was that I'd played uh, that out turn. I I flashed a rock (laughs) just a couple of ends before. I tried for that thin double in seventh to to possibly get a blank and I kind of. I threw that just because I, I knew I would make the draw. So it was worth taking the risk of that thin double and getting the blank. And that just ran way straighter than I thought it would. I got a little bit of curl on all the out turn across the line, kind of peel weights I'd thrown in the whole event. But that one ran really straight. So that's the only reason I actually knew how to play that double exactly. Because on, on those, you need to pick an exact spot, obviously. It's just you can't jam it, you can't. Miss it, uh, then you get into uh, having to take two in the last one. So if I wouldn't have thrown that peel in seven, I probably would have leaned towards drawing for two. But seeing how that how straight that went, I kind of thought I knew exactly how to play to make the double, and, and that's why I played it, basically. Well,
2: it was a fabulous shot. and of course, with that shot, you became the first five-time world championship winner. In history, And from Sweden, a country that's just a little over 10 million people, a huge accomplishment. That was the 10th World Championship men's win for Sweden. Your fellow countrymen, Shell 1973, uh, Ragnar Kamp in 77, PLN Home, 97, 2001, 2004, and then your five wins. So 10 wins for Sweden puts you in second place overall in world men's wins behind Canada, so that's great. So let's talk about curling in Sweden. Uh, I've got a history with curling in Sweden you probably wouldn't know about because it was well before you were born. But over a three-year period, I ran uh, numerous clinics in Sweden. And and I was making a list here last night, I think, in eight different places, Helsingborg, Malmö, Jan Koping, Karlstad, Karlstad, and Celestia, even, up with the camps. And so, actually, I have done a clinic in Karlstad. (laughs) So, I, I know the city, I've been there. But uh, certainly, over the years, Sweden has uh, produced a lot of great players in the women's side as well. What's happening with curling in Sweden today? Is it growing? Uh, is it getting any more interest from the public, or how does it all sit?
3: Uh, yeah, I think Karlstad is definitely the the mecca of curling uh, in Sweden now. Maybe it wasn't always so. I'm, I'm not sure. When I was younger, it was more up north. Um, but now, definitely, curling is uh, is big in uh, in Karlstad now, with uh, our team has been there for. lot of years now we started in 08 with that old team uh, or the former team I had but I think overall in in general in Sweden actually the numbers have uh, uh, decreased uh, in pretty much my whole career I think we started at 5,000 curlers uh, in Sweden and now we're down to somewhere around 3,500 I think Uh, so we're struggling a little bit especially to find juniors that Wants to play and stay in the game, uh, so that's something we're we're working on for for a long time now. But it's it's kind of tricky. We need the need more curling on TV. I think is the main problem. Just to so that it's uh, more approachable. Like we you you can see the guys on TV and then they can, can come to the club and and practice and and start that way and get the interest that way. So struggling a little bit, I think. Uh, but I, at the same time. Uh, we're doing well internationally and I think that's uh, also gotten our biggest um, TV producer interested in showing curling so they showed uh, the world championship now and they have a I think it is a seven-year contract broadcasting curling so that they show a lot of uh, curling now um, so hopefully the interest will increase again and hopefully hopefully the numbers of curlers also will in, in, increase by that but a lot of other sports uh, competing with curling as well it's just um a lot more that gets the attraction of kids these days i think uh, than curling when when i was younger and especially here in canada too when it's so well known i think it's just way easier to to know about curling and to have someone in your family that curls and you kind of get in that way but in sweden uh, a lot of people don't really know curling at all it's not the same thing they, they watch it at the olympics on tv but that's it then it's a four-year stretch where no one really sees curling or knows about curling they might see the the odd news in the newspaper or something if, if say if we win the world championship uh, you get that one article in the in the biggest newspaper and uh, it gets big for a week or two but uh, it doesn't really attract new curlers so we need more on tv i i would say is the the simple answer i think it, without that it's really tricky to double the numbers from say 3500 to get up to 7000 curlers i think I, I think it would take something like multiple Olympic golds and a lot more TV time for, for that to even be close to happening.
0: When I was reading yesterday, Nick, about your story, you've overcome some big things, injury being one of them. I think the first surgery you had was back surgery back in 2010 or 11. And then around 2017, you came out and said, this sport may come to a grinding halt for you. You may have to stop curling because of the funding. Tell us about that, Nick, how it got turned around. I know you alluded to some of it where you had to win events uh, just to be able to go into the next one, which is
3: is tremendous pressure on a team. But is
0: it secure now, Nick? Is, Is the funding getting better?
3: Yeah, definitely. I've been through a lot of, uh, if I take the injury part first, it's been, uh, I've had nine surgeries and th- those were in nine years. <laughs> so that, that was a difficult uh, decade <laughs> uh, of injuries, but it also kind of made me come out stronger on the other side. And now I've been fairly, fairly free of injuries for the past two years, which is definitely something that is uh, super important. If you're in elite sports, you have to be able to train and practice a lot. So Um, dealing with uh, surgeries and and even minor injuries can be really devastating for your progression and and, um, to put in the hard work and to kind of stay in shape over a long time and say for for this event now, we're here for five weeks straight without real possibilities of training really. So uh, you need to come in, really good form to actually be in good form still when those five weeks are ending. And then it's just getting back to uh, starting over again, <laughs> like pretty much all the physical training you put in before these five weeks, they will be almost gone when we get back home. So it's just about starting over again. And that's a curler's uh, curler's career. Basically, you're away for three, four, five weeks at a time, and then when you get back, you're you're nowhere close to the physical shape you were in when you left. So, kind of like just restarting again a lot of times and try and peak for the right times. Uh, hard training in the summer, and then just like try and fit the practice and training in when you can. So obviously, the the injuries they've been uh, bothering a lot when. when they are ongoing, but I think afterwards I've learned a lot from them and then I'm just training smarter and don't need the same amount of time now because I, I've kind of taught myself how to practice smarter and, and get the same results in, in less time is basically the key, I think, for me now. Uh, and then when we come to the funding, that, that was definitely um, definitely a tricky couple of years. We We have always had really good support from the Olympic Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, without them we would never have been able to play full time, it, it wouldn't be close to possible, just like going on tour and getting winnings and, and sponsorship to cover uh, the traveling we do, that would not even be close. Um, so no chance of doing that without the uh, Olympic Committee. And kind of a false uh, assumption that a lot of people make is that we're government funded, which is not the case. Uh, it's the Olympic Committee that, that covers uh, all the top athletes and some of that money, which is kind of su- it, it's like a support that is supposed to cover rent basically so that you can do this part time or full time without getting broke <laughs> basically right. so that you can right. you, you can just do keep doing this. It's not making money, it's just like covering the expenses you have. So that part is like a scholarship that we get. It varies every year. you you kind of apply for it every year. Um, So it's not a sure thing, but usually, especially now when we're at the top, we're pretty sure we will get it every year, but we don't know the amount. Uh, But it's around $1,000 each a month, give or take. So that kind of covers the rent, uh, basically. And that part is government money, uh, but it comes through the Olympic Committee. All the rest of the money that we get is from the Olympic Committee, which is um, more like sponsor money. They have sponsors that sponsors the Olympic Committee to distribute money to the top athletes in all sports. So all winter sports and all summer sports that are Olympic sports, obviously, they get a chunk of that money. Uh, so it depends on how you do, it depends on how much you need, depends on your will to, to put in the time and effort, uh, and then you get uh, the money accordingly. Uh, so it's never, never a done deal. We kind of uh, make a budget in, in March every year. Uh, send that into the Olympic Committee saying we want to play these uh, 18 events or whatever it might be. Uh, and then they have a look at it, uh, a discussion with the team and then a discussion with the Olympic Committee uh, as a whole, um, depending on how much money they have at the time and how many other sports needs money as well. And then they come back to us with a, a finalized budget. We can cover these events for you or we can't cover these uh, training camps or, or whatever it might be. And then that's basically what we have to work with. So usually um, uh, we've gotten a lot of that, uh, what we ask for, because curling is not, a, not an expensive sport in that way. We're four people traveling together, so we, we're just one unit, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, so per person, it's not a lot of uh, costs, actually. Uh, compared to other sports that might need a lot more uh, training abroad, for example, you, they might do long camps in, in some other countries just to kind of get the, the warmth and, and the, the right uh, temperatures or, or facilities or whatever it might be to training. So uh, those kind of things would cost a lot for us. We're just practicing Karlstad in our home rink all the time. And then the competition and the traveling, that's the, the part that costs money. So basically... For the first few years, we got a, we got basically everything we put in that budget, like all the competitions covered. Uh, so it's not money on top of what we spend. It's, it's covering costs basically. Uh, so it was never a question about getting rich doing this. It was basically just, uh, making sure we, we don't lose money doing this. We, we want to cover all the costs so that we can actually live a normal life, obviously. And then if possible with some winnings and, and if we find sponsors, Uh, which is tricky in Sweden too. It's not like here where we're not on TV much. So we don't, don't, never had a lot of sponsor incomes. It's mostly been about the winnings and the winnings. That is what makes for our salary, if you will, or the plus that the money that we actually make on top of covering costs. It didn't come to a stop, but it kind of was uh, a difficult situation for the Olympic Committee when they didn't uh, get a lot of sponsorship for a couple of years, and they had to uh, cut down the fundings for for a lot of sports, not just us, uh, obviously. And so we still got good support, but it was uh, way less than than what we had before, and it was kind of close to uh, leading up to the the last Olympics that we were in. Obviously, we knew there was nothing they could do about it. They distributed the money that they could to us, but it still didn't cover everything for us. uh, We kind of made it tricky. We had to win a lot of events to actually get some money on top of just covering the costs. So uh, we had a long discussion with that. And now it's, uh, to put a long story short, there's there's a new system put in place that kind of now allows us to get a monthly salary and we're hired by the uh, Swedish curling association instead. So it's just a much more secure situation. We don't really uh, make that much more money, but it's kind of like a, a normal Swedish salary now, so it's, it's a secure situation. We will, we won't get rich, but we're definitely very happy with the new situation. Now it's a steady, steady income. And if we don't do super well, we won't get broke basically. Right. So, 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 definitely, definitely got into a really good situation looking back at how it could be. And if, if we ever did bad in the past, it could all end in, in a hurry. I think uh, now it's just more secure and where we know, uh, we can afford to play next season.
0: You've been listening to Nick Adeen. I, I love this story, Nick. I love what you have to say. Congratulations. I can see kids now who listen to this interview. After we asked you about what should kids be doing, all of them now are going to go to their parents and say, Dad, you gotta, I got to join a tennis club. You got to buy a ping pong table. I need a pool table. Okay, buy a chessboard. Okay, I want to take up dancing, and I'm going to go to orienteering, Dad, and then I need to throw 35,000 rocks.
3: <laughs> if they do all that, I, I promise you they will get success.
0: okay thanks a lot nick i know you're busy we really appreciate you taking the time congratulations and uh good luck with the rest of the week you're you're around calgary for how much longer now
3: Uh, a couple of weeks we've played both the slams coming up now well go get some rest man okay you need a break Thank, thank you so much And I, I just want to make a big shout out as well to my team uh, We haven't mentioned them much in this And obviously making those shots In in the first end and the ninth end and stuff it, It's all a team effort and, and I think my team and the coaches and the staff around this Has just made a terrific job It's been difficult and challenging times But I think uh, uh, this team effort and, and getting through these times With another win I think it's just a, a huge success And I'm super proud of the whole team effort that we did here
0: Well, well done. Good for you. Uh, I like the humility. Way to go. Okay, Nick, uh, carry on, and good luck the rest of the week, and good luck the rest of the year, and we'll watch for you in the Olympics, too. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks a lot, Nick. Good luck. Thanks. Bye. Well, I wish we could have got something out of them.
3: Gee. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, once you get me going, I don't stop, eh? <laughs>
1: That's awesome, Nick. Oh, God.
3: Yeah, quiet, kid. Yeah. It's just so, so difficult to kind of, like, those are big topics, and then to kind of get everyone to get a grasp, I, I feel it's so difficult to just say a few words and, and make everyone understand the full picture. I, I try to sum it up best I can. Thank you.
0: Kevin, this guy's an unbelievable guy. I can't believe how well spoken he is. English is not his first language. Uh, he sounds super smart, super intelligent, super dedicated, really humble. Kevin, what what a guy to have in the sport!
1: Yeah, you know what? Nick has done a lot for uh, for the sport in Canada, not just around the and, and also around the world, but not just in Europe. Uh, real good athlete. I did not know that. that uh, I mean, I just can't get the picture of him him dancing because, like, w- w- would it have been him and Frederick uh, Lindbergh? Like, who who would have been his dancing partner? But anyway, yeah. I got to I got to get those thoughts out of my head. But yeah, it was terrific to hear from uh, the five time champ. And yeah, he's he's definitely a record setter and, and what a and a great friend of mine. So I, I sure appreciate him coming on.
0: Warren, you've curled a long time. As funny as that sounded uh, about all the all the other sports that he. He takes up totally interesting, Warren, that he said that there's way more to curling than just sitting around and throwing rocks.
2: Yeah, without question. And that's, again, a lot of people don't realize that who haven't been in the game at that level, that there's a, a lot going on with the sport of curling that is very much like other sports. And if you're not good at other sports, you're probably not going to be good at curling. But the record that he has, too, is going to be hard to catch. There's only one curler that's out there at the moment that probably would have any even a chance at all, and that's Kevin Cooey. And for someone to to come up, that's just up the ladder now to pick up five world wins is going to be very difficult with the way curling's going forward from here.
0: Uh, very good, uh, Kev. Fill us in here before we go. Uh, the Grand Slam is underway this week. What's happening with you? How you've been there now a long time, and you're going to be there for another six and a half years uh, before you get home. What's What's on the agenda for you now?
1: Well, yeah, so the Champions Cups is this uh, podcast like we're taping on Tuesday, but comes out Thursday morning. So this morning when you're hearing it, uh, the curling starts in the bubble, the Champions Cup and uh, goes until Monday because of the the false positives that we heard Nick talk about. Um, It held the Champions Cup back one day. So now it's going to start one day later. It'll finish on the Monday. Tuesday will be a black day. Nothing will be happening and then Wednesday the players championship will start and that will end off following Sunday the Sunday the 25th and then uh, then a few days um I've got a new grandson in Edmund I haven't met All yet right. so I'm going to sneak yeah I'm going to sneak uh, out for one day I'm allowed one evening and a, and the next morning out of the bubble to go see DAX and then come back for the women's worlds and uh, and that finishes up May 9th I'm having trouble getting the right month, Jim, because yeah, it's been for sure. so long.
0: <laughs> hey, Warren, you and I mo- both know Kevin, how competitive he is. Uh, do you think it'll be the first time we're going to see two grandchildren firing rocks in diapers? Maybe that'll be what <laughs> I, we're, we're going to Or, or riding that. the rocks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can do it. Uh, InsideCurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Keep the emails pouring in. Of course, we're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as well. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for your emails. Try and keep them short uh, so we can, you know, get to them. Uh, We're reaching out to curling clubs all over the world, as a matter of fact, inviting you to contact us and ask to set up a one-hour Zoom call with uh, myself, Kevin, and Warren. We'd love to talk to you. We've done a bunch of them. Uh, Please keep in mind we're doing this on a limited basis to see how it goes, but uh, we'd love to hear from you and uh, love to hear from your club. Also, we'd like to thank Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies, for all the great work on our social media and marketing, uh, along with uh, the team here at Sportsnet. Thanks a lot, Almo. Uh, producer of the show, are Warren Hansen. It's mixed and sound designed by Almo, uh, who does that. And uh, Jonathan does all our social media stuff. Boys, another wrap on a great week, the post World Championship week. Uh, and tons of curling now going on. So we'll be back next week with another show and a bunch to talk about. Take it easy, Kevin. Go back to, well, all you can do is go from your bed to a chair. You're, you're stuck in your room. Warren, you have a good week, too. It's time for you to hit the golf course. Are you going to do that?
2: Not quite yet, Jim. Not okay. yet.
0: <laughs> Take it easy, everybody. Uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Pro. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks,
2: Jim.